You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Starting in verse 9. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it to your to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. This is the word of the Lord. We believe it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for giving us your word, and we do ask that right now you would help us through your Holy Spirit to uh, not just say we believe it with our mouths, but actually believe it with our whole heart. And our whole being, that we would see our jobs, whatever they are, whether we work in the home or outside the home, uh, that we would see it as sacred, as we would see it as an important part of our discipleship to you, as a way to experience uh, your empowering presence working in us and through us. And so in Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen. Maybe seated. Well, if you were to look at my work resume from the time I was 14 to 20 years old, you would see that I had a very hard time holding down a steady job. Uh, I jumped literally from job to job to job, uh, uh, from shoveling manure on a farm to selling knives door to door. I mean, I pretty much did any kind of job you could imagine a teenager doing. Uh, some of you are like, I can't imagine a teenager selling knives door to door. Like, where does that even come from? Um, I did a lot of stuff. And whether I was making root beer floats at A&W Root Beer or putting shoes on elderly women's feet at Belk or filing policies at MF Block Insurance Company, uh, I hated work. I, I really did. Like, I found work to be... Uh, boring, meaningless, and completely unfulfilling. To me, it was a necessary evil. Uh, it was something I had to endure so that I could make money, which allowed me to do what I thought was really important in life, which at that time as a teenager was eating a lot of fast food, running around with my friends, and buying music from Sam Goody uh, until Napster came out, and I was able to pirate it and get it for free. And so it was great. It was legal, but it's free. Um, but, but here's the thing. When you think about kind of my view of job, maybe some of you can relate. And for you, like, that's not just how you viewed your job or your work when you were a teenager. It's how you view it today. It is a necessary evil or at best an inconvenience. It is something that, you know, grown-ups have to do so that we can just simply pay the bills. Uh, while maybe for others of you in here, you swing the pendulum the other way. And for you, um, you don't view work as something that is very bad. Uh, you view work as everything. For you, work is not unimportant. Uh, you're on the other end of the spectrum. For you, work is too important. It is what you find your identity in. It's what you build your self-worth in. And so if things are going well at work, your boss is pleased with you, you're knocking it out, you're climbing the, the corporate ladder, whatever it is, you feel great about yourself, your, your pride and your ego begins to grow. But whenever things are going bad, you fall into despair. It begins to really eat at you. And so for some of you, when it comes to work, your problem most likely is boredom, while for others, it is burnout. For some of you, you just show up at work every day and you're like, hey, what's the least I can do without getting fired? While for others, you continue to work even when no one is looking and you work 
and you work and you work. And even when you're supposed to be resting, you're still thinking about work, right? How can I get better results? How can I make more money? How can I appease my boss? How can I climb the ladder or go to the next level? And therefore, what I want to say today is whether you find your work unimportant or too important, uh, if you're being honest, if you're on either end of those spectrums, your job is probably much more like a burden than it is like a blessing. For you, when it comes to your job, you're very unsatisfied, you're anxious, you're exhausted, you're frustrated, you're always trying to look for kind of a way out to do something else. And if that's where you are, listen, you're actually not alone. You're in pretty good company today. In a recent survey performed by the Gallup Poll, Job unhappiness is at an all-time high for Americans. According to their research, you see this on the screen, 60% of people reported being emotionally detached at their work, so their heart is just not in it at all. 50% reported feeling stressed with their jobs on a daily basis, 41% worried and anxious, 22% sad, and 19% of people said that I am absolutely miserable at my job every single day. Uh, this is why, as research indicates, one in every six people who are diagnosed with clinical depression attribute their sadness to a lack of satisfaction in the workplace. And what I submit to you this morning is the job, the problem is not with your job. Uh, the problem a lot of times is with uh, really the kind of this, this idea we have of work that does not align with the scriptures. And therefore, as a result, because we're viewing our job in a way that God does not view it, we find our job to be unfulfilling and frustrating. And again, if that is where you find yourself, whether your work has become too important or not important enough, my hope simply today is that we will dive into the scriptures and that we will align our hearts with Jesus on this issue. And as a result, you will find no matter what work you are doing, that you will go into your job with Jesus and as a result, do a work tomorrow that not only blesses you, but blesses the world around you. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to anybody? Okay, all right, just making sure, because I could try to go through that again and explain it a different way if I needed to. Uh, with that, look back with me, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. I'm going to read the whole thing again because it's so short. Paul says this, Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do all love, uh, you do all, love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and do so that, and sorry, so that your life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, at first glance, it seems like Paul is talking about two completely different issues here, love and work. Did you think that whenever you read it? Right, the first few verses, 9 and 10, he's like, hey, I'm writing to you about love, but you're actually doing a good job of loving, so I don't really need to write to you, but I'm going to tell you about love anyway, like do it more and more and more. And then you go to verse 11, and it seems like he has ADD, like all of a sudden he's like, oh yeah, and let's talk about work. And the way he talks about work, let's be honest, he sounds a little bit like Dana Carvey's church lady. Uh, remember that, the Saturday Night Live skit, for those of you that are my age back in the 90s, right? Like, lead a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your hands, and just do what I tell you to do. Uh, that's, that's what it seems like right here. And so you have love, and then you have work. They seem completely unrelated, but they're not. As Tim Keller points out, what Paul is doing here by marrying love and work together is he's essentially saying this. If you are not working, you are not loving. And to be clear, he's not talking to people who can't work. Okay, There's some people in here who cannot work because of physical issues, health issues, 
He's talking to people in here who have the health to work, they have the ability to work, they have the opportunity to work, but rather than serving, they are sitting, and therefore Paul says you are not loving, right? You are not doing, Paul says, what you are designed to do, right? Rather than living as a contributor, you are living as a consumer. Rather than creating beauty and life in a community, you are draining beauty and life from the community. And you see, this is where the problem comes in, because when you adopt this lifestyle, you actually make yourself less human. Do you realize that whenever God made you, he made you in his image? He made you in the image, therefore, uh, of, uh, of a God who works, a God, right, who went to work and, and created a good world. And, and because we're created in his image, right, we should be doing the same thing. Like We should take the resources that God has given us and we should work them in such a way that we actually make this world an even better place to live. And so what that means today is this. It's like whether you are a pastor or a plumber, work, the work you are doing right now, it matters to God. Whether you are uh, someone who stays at home or you're a factory worker or a teacher or a doctor, what I want you to see today is you have been created by God. Think about this, to use your vocation to bless his creation. And so what Jesus wants you to see today is this reality that, that, that he wants to be just as involved in our workplaces as he does our worship services. You need to hear that because some of us are thinking, this is where God is. This is where Jesus is. But he wants to be just as much involved out there as he does in here. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you can actually be empowered to do the work that he has laid on your hands to do that allows you to accomplish the magnificent even through the mundane. So that we can see God's extraordinary will actually happening through our ordinary work. And this is not something that, that I'm making up. If you, if you will, you can actually look at this with your own eyes, or I'll just put it on the screen. In Exodus 31, I think we have a great example of this uh, in, in the life of your boy Bezalel, which I know is everybody's favorite Bible character, right? Everybody, you know Bezalel, right? And, and here's what we read about him. It says in, in Exodus 31, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uriah, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with wisdom and with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage all kinds of crafts. Now, on the surface, this is a story about the building of the tabernacle, the place where God's presence would dwell. But if you notice, how did God do this? He filled an ordinary man with the Spirit of God to accomplish the work. Did you catch that? And what's crazy to me is this is the very first time in all of the Bible that we see this phrase. We, we see someone described this way as being filled with the Spirit of God. And it's not Abraham. It's not Moses. It's not Jacob. It's not Joseph. It's this ordinary, normal, random God named Bezalel. And when he was filled with the Spirit of God, what happened? He didn't speak in tongues. He didn't pray some powerful prayer or perform some mighty miracle. He just woke up. And he went to work. He showed up at the construction site and he began to do a very non-glamorous, blue-collar job with his own hands. And oftentimes in Scripture, guys, this is the way God works. Over and over we see him doing the extraordinary things through ordinary people working very ordinary jobs. Moses, for example... Moses was showing up at the same field, punching the same time clock, doing the same job as a shepherd when God showed up and spoke to the burning bush. 
Ruth was taking care of her aging mother-in-law, trying to make ends meet on the farm when God decided to use her to help fulfill his redemptive plan for Israel. Esther was doing good work in the city hall, and God used her favor with the emperor to save the Jews. David, right, our boy David, he was faithfully working in the field, doing a very unimpressive job as a shepherd when he was anointed king of God's people. Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who, think about this, said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. He spent the first 30 years of his life in relative obscurity working as an assistant in his daddy's carpentry business. Which at the very least should tell us that in the eyes of God, blue-collar work is not a waste of time. Rather, it actually plays a part, think about this, in God's grand, eternal, redemptive plan. Like, let that blow your mind for a second. Like, think about this reality. That the same hands that made the world also made tables. Like, before nails were driven into Jesus' hands for the salvation of sinners, Jesus drove nails into tables for the satisfaction of his customers. Think about that. God could have done it any way he wanted to. Like, that's the way he chose to do it. And why is that? Because Jesus understood something that we forget, which is that there is no sacred and secular divide. That work actually is loving other people. As Kalel Gibrons uh, points out, work is love made visible. It is how, right, by God's design, we bless the world and love the world and make it less like hell and more like heaven. And if you're like, okay, that's great, but how do I do this? Well, it's actually a lot more simple than you think. Way more simple than you think. Just do a really, really good job at whatever it is that God has called you to do. Whatever he's called you to do. As Tim Keller points out, um, the first task of a Christian airline, or, or, sorry, airplane pilot is not to hand out tracks while the plane is in the air. The first task of a Christian airplane pilot is to land the plane. <laughs> and if you're a really good pilot, to make sure it lands safely. Dorothy Sayers says the same thing. She says that, you know, when you look at the life of Jesus, like we were just talking about, and you consider that he spent the first 30, if it's 33 years on earth, doing a blue-collar job that most people think would be completely meaningless, what we're reminded of, again, because he did whatever God told him to do, we remember that God's, this is her now speaking, she says, remember that God's first demand on the life of Jesus was to make really good tables. Think about that. The first demand that God the Father put on God the Son is, I want you to spend the majority of your life, making really good tables. She says the same hands that formed the heavens and the earth were also called by God to make straight legs and fitting drawers. And in doing so, what was Jesus doing? Loving his neighbor as he loved himself. And this is our call, right? We say this often, that the goal of a disciple of Jesus is three things, right? Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And so if we're going to do the things that Jesus did, we have to begin to view our work at times, the work that we even think is absolutely pointless, the way that Jesus views it as a gracious expression of creative energy for the benefit of those that he has placed around us. And if you're here and you're like, easy for you to say, bro, you're a pastor. Like, that's what you do, man. Like, Jesus' work, like, you get paid to study and to tell people about Jesus, and to pray, and to do counseling, and all of that, like, I'm just a factory worker. 
I, I, I just change poopy diapers and clean up like goldfish bombs that go off in my house or do like what feels like absolutely pointless work in this cubicle all day long. Well, if that's where you are, let me just encourage you with the words of author and professor Gene Edward Veith. He says it way better than I could. He says this. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to give us our daily bread. Remember that, right? Jesus told us to pray that way. Give us our daily bread. And he does. But look at this. The way he gives our daily bread is through the vocation of farmers, millers, and bakers. We might also add truck drivers, factory workers, bankers, warehouse attendants, and even the lady at the checkout counter. Virtually every step of our whole economic system contributes to that piece of toast that you had for breakfast. And when you thank God for the food that he provided, you are right in doing so. How cool is that? You were to stop and think about this reality, that, that when you say, God, thank you for giving me my daily bread, thank you for giving me this piece of toast, you're not only thanking him for the food you're about to eat, but also for the people, the skills, and all the mundane processes that allowed that food to get from the field to your plate. And so listen, here's just the idea. No matter how menial your work may seem, it matters. It is through ordinary work that God accomplishes extraordinary things. I want to say that again, guys. It is through your ordinary work that God accomplishes extraordinary things. I wonder, do you believe that? I think about this often when I, when I walk through Allen Engineering. Most of you know that I serve as a chaplain there five to six hours a week. And we've got a lot of people in our church that work at Allen Engineering. If, and if you, uh, if you were to walk through there on any given day, you would see people turning wrenches, bending and, and, and you know, working with metal, assembling machines, you know. And it would just seem like just boring, menial, insignificant work. But do you realize what they're doing? They're building machines that literally pave roads and runways and lay foundations for things that we build, like schools and hospitals and grocery stores and banks. Like literally they keep the world running so to speak but if you're just walking through there it seems like this is completely pointless significant it's not it's not significant at all but yet it is and i just share all that to say listen no matter what job you have if it is honest work then even the most mundane task you are performing have the fingerprints of god on it but with that being said and i want to be very clear on that on this there are some jobs that god does not want you to do there are some jobs that God did not make you to do. Some jobs that no matter how hard you try, it will not be good for you and it will not be good for anyone around you. For example, I would be an awful math teacher. You would not want me teaching your kids math. My son is in fifth grade. I promise you he is way better at math than I am. That is not an exaggeration. I do not need to be your auditor. I do not need to be your CPA, or I do not need to do anything that involves numbers or details over long stretches of time. Um, and it's not because I don't love Jesus, and it's not because I'm lazy, and it's not because I don't love you. I'm just not wired by God to do that. If I was to try to be your CPA, we would both end up in prison. <laughs> because it just doesn't fit with how God made me to work. And this is what Paul really is getting at in verse 11. It's easy to look over and 
honestly, I wouldn't have noticed it if it wasn't for the fact that I'm reading commentaries and try to understand this stuff. But he says in verse 11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. What scholars agree on is a better translation for that is strive for quiet, strive for rest. And so what they say is this is the reason Paul, right, it talks about rest in the middle of work as he is saying, if you really want to experience rest and inner quiet and inner rest, you have to do a work that fits with your insides. You have to find work that actually goes with your abilities and your passion and your interest. And when you learn to do this kind of work, here's the really cool thing, you'll be able to rest even in the work. I think of what Jesus says, right, in the Gospels. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. What's the next line? For my yoke, yeah, take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Anybody know what a yoke is? It's not the thing in the egg. A yoke is a work instrument. It's literally, if you were to, I could have put a picture on the screen, but I just came up with this this morning and thought about it. It's like, if, if you, if, a yoke is like you, you put two ox through these little holes and then like they basically pull a plow and, and they, they plow the field, right? It's a work instrument. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you want to get rest, work with me. Do your job with me. Do the things I've called you to do with me. The things I've created you to do with me. And then you will rest even in your work. This is why Chuck Ishwin, one of our pastors who used to be here, lives in Texas now, he used to say to me, uh, you know, hey, if there's anywhere in your job where you feel heavy laden, it's because you're trying to do something that God never created you to do or never called you to do. And so pay attention to that. Is there an area where you're heavy laden where you're probably trying to carry something Jesus never told you to carry? And and don't misunderstand me. I want to be clear on this. There are parts of our job, everybody's job, that just kind of stink. Can we just say that? Like, there is no perfect job out there, just like there are no perfect people out there. And there's no perfect marriages out there. Right? Like, there are parts of our job because of sin, because we live in a fallen world that, that where we will feel like I'm wrestling with thorns and thistles. Like, everybody has a part of their job they do not like. But if you find a job where you can step into your God-given calling, you will begin to come alive. Your work won't always be easy, but it really will be fulfilling. And so the question, maybe for some of you, is how do I know my calling? How do I know what job God has called me to do? How can I know? And I think there's a few ways you can know. One, I would just say this, is get into community. If you're not in community, get in community. It's amazing to me how many people think they are called to something because their grandma told them they were good at it. And their grandma just told them that because they were just trying to be nice, right? It's like, get into community, get around other people, and a lot of times they can tell you, hey, here's what I, what I see in your life, what I think you're good at or you're bad at. Ask other people. Have you ever even asked anybody else that? Those around you close, like, hey, what do you think I'm good at? What do you think I'm bad at? What, what kind of work did you see me doing? Another thing you can do, and I'll put this on the screen for you, and it's actually in your version notes, um, so if you have the Uversion Bible app, you can actually get the links to what I'm talking about right here. But you can take the Myers-Briggs assessment. The Myers-Briggs assessment, if you take that today, you'll get a, it's a free test you can take, and you'll get the results right back. And it'll tell you about a lot of stuff, but it'll talk to you about the kind of jobs that you could find yourself doing that you would enjoy. Um, and there's a lot of these different things out there. The Culture Index is another one. Allen Engineering actually paid, I think it was $6,000 last year, for me to get trained in the Culture Index in Nashville 
because they, along with Hilton Hotels, Amazon, and these other places, are now viewing the culture index as kind of the foolproof way of hiring. And so this is the only personality test. I love pops, by the way. They're so cool. And so um, <laughs> it's the greatest. And so I told Megan the other day, I said, if I was the mayor of this town, I'd outlaw pops. And she's like, wow, you really are 40. And I was like, yeah. So, um, and so, uh, look, the culture index, I don't know if it's a mathematical thing, scientific thing, whatever, but it is the only personality test out there that you can legally use to hire somebody with. And here's what the deal is. If you want to get on there, it's free for you. Um, if you want to take the culture index assessment, uh, you will not get the results back on that. That will come to me. But what I will do, and I've talked with Stephanie, uh, I think Brooke is in on this. Are you in on this? Okay, shaking her head. Yes, that's good. And so we're going to basically make copies. I've got a book that has all the different results for these different culture index assessments. We're going to make copies of each one of these profiles. And if you take this, we will send you the report back, email it, so that you'll be able to see it. And if you want to process any of that, if I have time and your time, we can line up. I'd be happy to try to process with you. Another thing you can do is this. I'm not trying to overweight information. Just pick one of these and go with it. Uh, this is a really good one, though. It takes a little bit more time. Do what's called the motivated abilities exercise. So this is something I've done. I've done with other people. Basically, what the motivated abilities exercise is, is, is you're, you're looking back at your life. And it's really good to think about your childhood and your teenage years. Um, but you can think about adult as well. But you're looking and you're trying to say, okay, what were 10 things from my life that I was both good at and enjoyed? So I was good at it, and I liked doing it. And then write those things down and even think about, like, what, what had to be true of me for me to be good at that? And, and what had to be true? Like, why? What was it about that that I enjoyed? And then look for a common theme. And then find that common theme, and then I would encourage you do my, marry those things together, what I'm good at and what I enjoy, and do something for the benefit of others. Maybe for some of you, you might look and say, man, like when I look back at my life, I was really good at sports and I really enjoyed like sports. Why? Why? Maybe it was the team activity. Maybe it was that of accomplishing a goal. Maybe it was helping other people. I don't know what it may be. Maybe for some of you, it was writing or it was teaching or building or cooking or hosting. Look for a common theme and then try to learn how to do that for the benefit of others. Okay, does that make sense? What I'm saying. Um, for me, if, I don't know if it's helpful for you, by the way, but for me, like my theme that I came up with years ago was God made me to create safe spaces where other people can thrive. Like that was kind of the common theme. And so, whatever I do with my life, whether I end up being a church planter, so that's how I kind of stepped into that. But whether I'm a pastor or a church planter, or one day maybe a chef, whatever. Whatever it is, I need to try to create spaces where other people can feel seen, can feel known, can feel loved, can kind of actually grow up and reach their full potential. All of that being said, if that's like super overwhelming and now your head's spinning and you're like, I don't know where we are, and the pops threw you off and all that kind of stuff, here's the main thing. I just want you to know this, and I hope you believe this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Like you have been knitted together by God uniquely for a specific purpose. And listen to me. Look right at me. The world needs you to be you. The world doesn't need you to be me or to the person next to you or the person on TV or that person that you envy. You're like, oh, if I could just have their gifting or their calling, if I could just speak like that, if I could work like that, or if I was that or that or that, or that kind of intelligence or whatever it may be. Stop. 
Be who God made you to be. And if you will do that, I'm telling you, you will 100% bless this world. You will leave it better than you found it. And my mom used to have this thing on our, our refrigerator. Like, uh, I don't know if it's like, I don't know if she got it from a magazine or newspaper, but it was held up by a magnet on our refrigerator and it just said real big, God doesn't make junk. And she would say it to me a lot. I battled shame even as a kid. Jared, God doesn't make junk. He doesn't make junk. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, it sounded so cliche. But man, it's so true, guys. God didn't mess up on you. You were not a, like an accident. You understand? You weren't an accident, like a whoops because of something your biological parents did. Like you're here only because God wants you here. And he wired you the way that he wired you for a reason. And so step into that. And if you will learn to do that, if you'll learn to go into your work that God has called you to do, right, with Jesus there beside you, empowered by the Holy Spirit, like, like you absolutely will come alive and you will leave the world better than you found it. You will, in the words of Paul in verse 12, right, First Thessalonians 4, verse 12, you will win the respect of outsiders. That means people will look at you and see something different. They'll say, ah, maybe this Jesus you've been talking about, maybe he's real. Because the way you work and how you work, it just looks different than what other people do. And I think, man, one of the greatest examples of this, I feel like this sermon should be like brought to you by Allen Engineering in some ways. I've mentioned them now three times. I think one of the great examples of this is my buddy Jay, who owns Allen Engineering. And, uh, man, Jay's not a perfect man, but he's a good man. And he's doing a really good work. And I'm super proud of him and thought about even bringing him up here today and, and having him kind of share. But, you know, the thing is, and you know, about Jay, like, I mean, he is leading one of the top manufacturing companies of concrete equipment in the world. Like, you realize that's like right here in Paragold. It's in like 60-something different countries. I mean, right here in Paragold, they actually employ over 200 people. Uh, last year, it's a growing company. Last year, when I first started working for them, I only worked for about five or six hours a week. When I first started working for them, I think they had like $24 million in revenue a year. Last year, it's $60 million in revenue. So it's a quickly growing company. But here's the thing. That's not what I'm going to remember Jay for. What I'm going to remember Jay for is stuff like this. He started a thing called the AEC CARES program. And the AEC CARES program is if you worked at Allen Engineering, if you're having a tough month and you weren't able to pay your bills, you would just come and turn that into someone like me and with no questions asked, we'd help pay your bills. But what I'm going to remember Jay for is the fact that he hired two chaplains. I'm one of them. Marlon Dixon, who's in our church, is another one. To teach classes, financial classes to people. To share the gospel. I literally get to walk around throughout the week. And, and like he does not care if I stop people from their work. And I just get to share the gospel with them. To provide spiritual and emotional support for his employees. Um, I will, you know, remember how much Jay gave away in his company. Last year alone, they gave away $382,000 to churches and ministries. And to rehabs. $382,000 they gave away. Um. They also do this really cool thing where they match their employees' tithes. That's why if you work at Allen Engineering, we'd really like for you to tithe. Uh, it's a crazy thing. Like, like literally, if you work at Allen Engineering, and let's say you tithe $10,000 to your church, Allen Engineering would match it, and they would also tithe $10,000 to that church. Like, is that not wild? That's cr- that makes no sense. That is not a good business plan. That does not put more money back in Jay's pocket. But then that's just the point of what Paul's saying right here. 
He's living a life that demands a gospel explanation. Again, he's an imperfect man, but he's going into his work with Jesus. And he's living for what actually is going to matter for eternity. And I thought a lot about that this week. Um, I just did a funeral yesterday for a 55-year-old woman that actually her husband is a maintenance guy at Allen Engineering. They weren't involved in any church anywhere. I spent time with her. She came to my office probably three or four months ago. She got diagnosed with terminal brain cancer and spent some time together. And on Monday night, uh, I got called into the hospice. I was um, yeah, at the hospice house in Jonesboro Monday evening. And she only at that point, I think she ended up living about another eight or nine hours after I'd left. And I go in, and, and you know what she wanted to talk to me about? What do you think a woman who's dying and knows that she's about to enter an attorney, what do you think she wanted to talk to me about? It wasn't her money. It wasn't how much is in her bank account. It wasn't, do I think she's impressive? It wasn't, do I think she's pretty? It wasn't like about all of these experiences that she wishes she could have had. It wasn't like how her house was smaller than she wanted it to be. Or It wasn't about any of those things. She wanted to talk to me about her relationship with Jesus and her relationship with others. And I'm telling you right now, I've got a friend that works, um, he's the hospice director in Kentucky, and he says that is always what people care about the most when they're dying. Always. It is always about relationships, the relationship with God and the relationship with others. And I don't know about for you, but for me, that's pretty convicting. Because sometimes what I care about the most, especially when it comes to my job, is not even necessarily relationships, which is crazy because I'm a pastor, and that's really what this is all about. But at times, like, I can go into my work and I can forget that because sometimes what I do is I tend to pick up the world's definition of success. Does that make sense? Of what successful looks like, which in my world means ever-increasing Sunday attendance and online views. And it causes me to, I think, really kind of miss out on really what Jesus wants to do with me in my own work. And so this past week, I just began to like, ask the Lord, like, as I look back at my life, and as you know, I've always got to preach this sermon to me before I preach it to you. And I'm just like, okay, Lord, like, what does success look like for me? Like, what does it look like for me? Like, to, to work in such a way that when I look back at my life, I won't look back with regrets. And I just felt the Lord say to me very clearly, just be faithful. Just keep showing up. Even when you don't feel like showing up at your job, just keep showing up. Just keep preaching the gospel. Even if it's not popular, even if you feel like that, that, that it's not making a difference in anyone's life, keep forgiving if someone accuses you or, or hurts you or leaves you or betrays you. Keep persevering when it's not easy. Keep praying when no one's looking. Keep loving people by calling them to the exact same things I've called them to, knowing that when you do it, some people are going to leave and go elsewhere because they're not going to be called to those things. That's what success looks like. It has nothing to do with the numbers. Come to find out. Attendance, buildings, budgets, conversions, bad. Like, just be faithful and trust me with the results. And listen, I know you're not a pastor, right? But you do have a job. Again, you do have a work, whether it's in the home or outside of the home. And so here's the question for you. What does success look like in the job that God has laid on your hands to do? What does it look like for you to be successful in your vocation, in your work? And my guess is today, if you're anything like me, if you're being honest, there's probably some things you're going to need to die to. There's probably some things you're going to have to lay down. Because it's so easy to pick up again the world's definition of what success looks like and make this all about me and my kingdom than about Jesus and his kingdom. And in order for us to do that, I think, man, we have to continually come back to the gospel. We have to remember that long before Jesus ever called us to do work for other people, 
like Jesus went to work for us. And he went to work through living this this, this perfect sinless life that we could not live. We talk about every single week and then going to the cross and shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sinners like you and me and then raising from the dead, conquering sin and death and hell. And he did not do this. Listen to me, we're almost done. He did not do this to free us from work. Do you realize work is a good thing? Work was in the Garden of Eden before sin ever entered the world. Jesus did not come here to free us from work. But he came here to free us to do work. Again, from a place of rest, for the good of others and for his glory. And this is what Paul says, and I'll read this to you and we'll be done. The band can go ahead and they can be making their way forward. But I want you to hear this, try not to get distracted as they come up on stage. The Apostle Paul says this, and we'll end here, go into communion. In Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10, we have this verse memorized, at least the first two verses, but I want you to hear the last. Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. It is not by works so that no one can boast. But then listen to this. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God has prepared, listen to this, before time that you should walk in them. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good work. And it is good work, listen guys, that God has laid on your hands to do before time even began. When he created you, he had this in mind. And today the call is to begin to step into that work. And I just want to say this, for some of you, you're like, man... I don't have that option. I've made really bad decisions in my life, and now I'm stuck in this dead-end job. First off, it's not a dead-end job. Secondly, trust that if that's true, that God's grace is sufficient for you, that you can still go and you can meet Jesus where he is. I think of Joseph, who, who was basically thrown into prison because of his brother's decisions, but he continued to work and be faithful there in that prison cell and serve in the way he was served. And then eventually he was exalted to second in command in all of Egypt, which allowed him to save the people of Israel from a famine. You never know what God is going to do and what feels like the prison of your own job if you will just stay faithful. But I would also say this, you probably have a lot more options than you think are there. And so I would encourage you to look Man, God, where am I good or what am I good at? What is it that I desire? And how can I do this thing for the benefit of others? And ultimately, not to earn your love, God. Not to earn your acceptance, but because I believe I already am loved and I'm already accepted. And that's what we remember when we partake of communion. And I'm going to go ahead and invite the communion service to come forward. But here's the way this works. If you're here today and you are a Christian, you're welcome to this table, even if you are not a member of the church. And here's the way it works, okay? Because it may be different for you, you know, maybe you're not used to this. In just a moment, after I pray, you can file forward. And the communion service will tear off a piece of bread, which represents the perfect life of Jesus lived on our behalf. And it'll be dipped in the juice, which represents his blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And you can come if you've trusted in Christ, and you can receive that. Or we have a self-serve section over here. It's also a gluten-free section. And you can take communion that way. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, rather than receiving communion, we encourage you to receive Christ to surrender to his love, to surrender to his grace, to trust that he has done perfect work for you on your behalf so that you can receive the, the self-worth and the identity and the forgiveness and the freedom you need to now go and work for him. And if you have questions about that, or if you're here and you just, 
need prayer of any kind, I'll be up here in the front. Chris is here. We've got Jesse and Evan in the back, the prayer team. We would love to connect with you in that way. Also, as an act of worship, uh, and this is a great reminder for us, we give, and I can put on the screen how you give. We give as a way, not because we're like, oh, the church needs our money or God needs our money, but it's a way of remembering the reason you have the money you have is because God has given you the work that you have. And the reason you're able to do the work or the job that you have is because God's given you the ability. And so we trust that our work is not ultimately dependent on us, but it's dependent on God. And because he's given us so much, we want to give back just a portion of what he has given us. And so if you go back to that screen, you can see you can text to give, you can give online, in person, or you can use the app. With that, let's stand together. I'll pray over us, and then when you're ready, you can take communion. Father, we do thank you so much for giving us your word. We thank you for giving us work which is good. And I know that (laughs) there's probably a lot of people in here that's like, that's not true. Uh, There's days I feel like that. And I just pray, Lord, for each person here that maybe especially is is just disenchanted with their work, with their job, that feel like it's just a dead end, it's, it's pointless, it's useless. Or maybe those who are on the other end, it's just making it way too much, thinking if I could just get this job, I would be somebody, I would be, my life would be incredible. Like, I pray that we would just see the job for what it is. Something that you have called us into. That you have wired us for, not ultimately for our glory, but for your glory. Not ultimately for our good, but for the good of others. And as we step into that, Lord, I know that that would be for our good. I pray for the person who is here right now that doesn't have a relationship with you. That maybe is trusting in their own works to be the thing that makes them right before you, God. I pray they would realize that it's by grace that we are saved through faith. And it is not of works. It's all because of your work, and I pray they would trust in that today. And it's in Christ's name I ask these things. Amen.